Praise the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. If you'd stand for the reading of God's Word, if we all could read it together, we're reading verse 17, 18, and 19. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 17 through to 19. And we'll all audibly read it together. Praise the Lord. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou may by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Father, this morning we do just ask for your help and for your anointing afresh upon your word. Lord, as our hearts have been prepared, Lord, they have been opened, Lord, by the time of worship, if you have come down among us, and Lord, you've, Lord, softened our hearts, we pray, Lord, that through the preaching of your word this morning, that you would speak to us as a people, that you would speak to us individually, O God, that you would make us ready for the days in which you've called us to. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may take your seats. This final message, just on these messages on preparing for war, is entitled, Warfare According to the Prophetic. Warfare According to the Prophetic. There is a charge here that Paul makes to Timothy according to the prophetic, the prophecies that were on thee, and that by the prophecies that were on his life, Paul is encouraging him that he would war a good warfare, that he would hold the faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, and we have seen this, and we do see this on a regular basis now. Sadly, many have made shipwreck. Many have made shipwreck. Paul is writing with Timothy and reminding him of a prophetic word that was spoken over his life. A word that was given to him, most likely either by his mother or his grandmother, when we are young and when we are born into this world, and especially we've been privileged to be born into a, a Christian home, you know, it, your grandparents could already be in glory today, but I'm sure, I'm sure of this, that uh, to be blessed with Christian grandparents on both sides in our family, I, I'm sure of it, that they would have held uh, us in their arms as kids and your parents when you were babies and not only did they dedicate you to the Lord but they prayed over you and they prayed because that's what you do with your grandkids isn't that right you take them in their arms and you pray over them and you pray the Lord's protection upon them and you say Lord would you preserve this life and you pray the things of God into their life you pray that they'd be preserved They pray that at a young age they come to know you as their own and personal Savior. We pray that they be used by you, that the giftings of God would be put into their wee lives. And as they grow and they walk and they develop into young men and women, that they would be used of God. And your parents and your grandparents, if you've been privileged to be born into a Christian home, most likely that has happened. And if you're saved this morning and when God blesses you with children, you will hold those boys or those girls or both in, their, in your arms and you'll pray. You'll pray over their lives. You'll pray the Word of God over their lives because that's who we are. And this is what Timothy, really, this is what the Lord through Paul is saying to Timothy. saying there's been a word that's been put into your life. And this morning I want to say this because I know that the Lord is going to speak to some hearts in this room But there are people here this morning that the Lord has a word for you. And there's a word in your life. And that word isn't wakened to you or alive in you. It might be dormant or dead. But there is a word of the Lord that's concerning your individual life. 
and you haven't entered into what that is and the fullness of that, you may not even be saved this morning, but the amazing thing about God is that God has a plan for your life and there has been prayers over your life. Are you thankful that someone prayed for you? There are so many prayers that you don't even know have been prayed. And there's prayers that have been prayed that those that have prayed them are already promoted up in the glory this morning and their prayers are still active by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't God amazing? And so what is happening here is that Paul is speaking into Timothy's heart and reminding him of a prophetic word that was spoken over him, prayed over him into his life. And by that calling and that word that has been put into him, Paul saying, now this is how I want you to fight the good fight of faith. What is in you has not been put there by, by man. It has been put there by the Holy Ghost. This is something that has been birthed of God. And there are people in this room, actually I believe there's many in this room, it's not just one or two, there are many in this room that we have to unwrap that prophetic word that is in your life this morning. You say, what is he talking about unwrapping? It is, it is of though where it is like, and this is the way the Lord showed, showed it to me, is when David came to Ahimelech in 1 Samuel chapter 21, he was in a war. And Saul was after him. And at that time, he was on the run, as it were, and there was a warfare taking place. He was so hungry. He was so desperate that when he came, he ate the five loaves that he should not have taken. You remember it, 1 Samuel 21. And the famous interaction between Ahimelech and David was that David is asking for a weapon. He's asking for something that he can fight the fight with. How can I fight the good fight of faith? How am I going to fight the battle of faith in the days in which we're, how are we going to live this life for the Lord in a day of, of such decay and confusion? And we know it so well, but how am I going to live this life for the Lord? And so he asked of Ahimelech about this, about this weapon. And the priest said, the only weapon that's here, David, is the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. That's all we have here. Whom thou slayest in the valley of Elah. That is that great battle. You remember it. But he says, it is here in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 9. He said these words, it is here wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. This great victory that, that there is, that this great calling upon your life, because every calling of God's a great calling, because it's God's calling. But this great victory that there is, this great call in your life has been wrapped in a cloth. There are dormant callings, there are dormant giftings that have been put into lives. In this room this morning, young and old, male or female, but God's got a purpose for every single life in this room. And many of them have been wrapped up like the sword of Goliath and they lay dormant. And so we see here that David unwraps as it were, that sword, which is a representation, I suppose you could say, if you will allow me, like, it is like the sword of the Spirit. It is the word of the Lord. It is the victory that God has for every one of our lives. But so often that victory is wrapped in the things of the world. It's wrapped in the stuff of this life. And we're not living in that victory, but we're searching. We're in a warfare and we're hungry and we're desperate. And David was brought back to that victory in the valley. And there has to be an unwrapping. There has to be an unwrapping this morning of what so often is put round the purpose and the promises of God in our lives. The calling of God. The plan of God. The prophetic utterance of God. By which we can war a good warfare, but it's, it's wrapped up. It can be wrapped up in religion. It can be wrapped up in the flesh. It can be wrapped up in sin. It can be wrapped up in unbelief. It can be wrapped up in so many things, but God wants to unwrap this morning this great victory that He has in the purposes of God for our lives. We need an unwrapping. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm charging you. That means there's a mandate. God has a mandate for every person in this room. There's a mandate. There's a heavenly mandate on your life. And God saying this morning through Paul and then to Timothy's life, He wants us to come and begin the war, an effective warfare, 
Not through the strength of ourselves, but through Christ and the victory of the cross. In 2 Timothy, if you look at it, chapter 3, he, he says to Timothy about the days that would come. I believe this is where we really are. So Paul's saying this is the warfare that you're going to be engaged in, but this is the context of the warfare. 2 Timothy 3, he says, This know also, remember he's charging him the war of good warfare. Then he says, This know also that in the last days perilous or dangerous times, shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce, bearers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such. He says, I want you to turn away. For of this sort are they that creep into houses and lead silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And so he's saying in the Timothy's life, this is the context of your warfare. That's the context of where we are. This is the battle that we're in. This is the day that we have come to. Yet he's saying, I am charging you. Can you? It's the opposite of where most of the church is going today. But now Paul is saying, I am charging, I'm putting a charge on your life. You have a mandate and a prophetic word, and by these things, you're going to fight a good warfare. He reminds him, if you turn over to the next chapter in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, he says these words, But watch thou in all things, he says, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. You know, I want to tell you, friends, I believe in the gift of the evangelist, but I also believe that every Christian is an evangelist. Every believer is an evangelist. You're an evangelist when you're dropping your kids off to school. You're an evangelist when you go to the next appointment. You're an evangelist when you drive your lorry. You're an evangelist when you're in the office. You're an evangelist when you're in the shopping center. You're an evangelist when you're on the street corner. You're an evangelist when you're in the school. You're an evangelist when you're in the hospital. You're an evangelist wherever you go. You're an evangelist, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Paul's saying we have a mandate. And here he says... In verse 5 of 2 Timothy 4, Thou watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And then he said these words, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. And I want to tell you, friends, I pray this prayer, and I'm sure you pray it too, but I would dearly love to say at the end of my life, whenever that is, that I have fought a good fight and I've finished my course and I've kept the faith. God, give us the grace. Give us the power. Give us the ability to be able to say we've fought the good fight and we've finished my course. I've kept the faith. We must war according to the prophetic. That might sound strange, but I believe it to be true. We must have a warfare according to that which is the prophetic. Bible prophecy is a very hot topic. It can be a very divisive topic. Sometimes people are just afraid to go into it because there's so much in it. It's not true. Where do you start? Where do you end up? And then you have a whole array of different teachers within that. Why is it in these days that so many tragically are completely unconcerned? I'm talking about within the church. Are completely unconcerned with the days in which we're living in. Why is it that sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, when you meet someone who's a believer and a brother in the Lord, I believe they... Absolutely are, even though there's a diversity. And when you talk about what is happening and you see in certain contexts, in a general that we would share about the days we're in, the times we've come to, the seasons, excuse me. 
Now, all of a sudden, we seem to be on completely two different pages. Has that ever happened to anybody else? <clears throat> and yes, they are a brother in the Lord. It's not, they are, a bro- they are born of the Spirit. They're washed in the blood. We love them in the Lord. You're talking about the times. <clears throat> I'm hoping I'm going to get through this. <clears throat> we're talking about the times that we've come to, the seasons that we're in. And then suddenly, they're in a completely different realm. It's like, is there something missing here? Have I missed something? That's normally the first thing. I walk away and go, have I missed something, Lord? I don't say they've missed it. I first of all always go to myself and go, Lord, I want to hear. I want to listen. I don't want to just, you know, ply through it. I know I'd be a bit of a bull in a china shop, but I try not to be. But then I walk away saying, have I missed something? And you know what? It came to me just over the past few weeks that awful lot of where we are today and what has happened is because of the understanding of Bible prophecy. Now, I'm saying this in a broader context because I believe you can be broad enough to understand it. You see, there's simply two camps, if you like, so that you understand where it's come to. Why is it that so many have fallen into the system of this world and not seen anything or are alarmed in any way? Because there are two camps. There's largely an historist view of Bible prophecy or there is a futurist view. And the pendulum can go into both a certain extent and there's extremes in all things. I understand that. But the historist view simply looks at it and says, everything has already happened. There's nothing to be concerned about. The Antichrist and everything else, AD 70, it's all happened. The famines, the wars, and everything. That all happened 2000. The only thing, the only thing that we're waiting on now really is that Jesus Christ is going to come again. They agree with that. They agree on that point that he's coming again. But hey, it could be in our 3,000 years. There is no indication that we're living in the last days. So if the government tell us to mask up, Sit six feet apart, don't shake hands, don't fellowship, close the church down. That's no problem because it's nothing to do with the system or the days in which we're living in. We'll gladly agree with the government. And then there's another group that understand that the Bible prophecy is speaking of a future time that the book of Daniel can refer to, and Matthew 24 and 25 partially can look at AD 70, and there are parts of that have been fulfilled. But on the most part, everything will happen in an end time. And so when we see all of this, and I know there's masses of diversity in that I've kept it so simple, I hope. And within all of that, there's all the different camps, and I'm not going to walk in any toes this morning, but that's largely the two camps. But when you swing in one or another, then that's how you see the mindset that's come in the church. That's why we are where we are. So with this in mind, when Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 4, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name and say, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Friends, we're witnessing it right now, the wars and the rumors of wars. 100,000 Russian soldiers on the border of Ukraine. And if you think they'll stop in Ukraine, you're absolutely out of your head. And Ukraine has seen great moves of God and many souls have been saved. David Hathaway, the evangelist, has been going there for many years and preaching the gospel. Massive crusades. No wonder the devil's knocking on the door. And you'll see this. But don't be troubled for these things must come to pass. They will happen. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences. When you say that to some person, oh no, but no, the pandemic, no, that's nothing to do. That's nothing to do with Bible prophecy. I'm wondering, have I lost it altogether? That God is bringing judgment on the earth with famines, pestilences, that's plagues, that's viruses. 
Earthquakes in diverse places. Tsunamis in diverse places. And all these things, the Bible says, are the beginning of what? The beginning of sorrows. Now many would believe that already has happened, but for us in our understanding, we know that this is speaking of a woman. Ladies, you know this. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'll put that before I say anything. This is when a woman is pregnant. This is what it's referring to. All is well. You get your bedroom sorted, the walls painted, the scripture verses, and the wee cots made, and all the blankets are there, and the bags packed. The only thing that daddy has to do is carry the bag. But that bag could be heavy, and that bag has to be packed and ready, and all of these things. And everything is fine for the moment, but then, but then, women, you know what it's like once the pains come. Once the labor comes, all is well. But once the labor pains come, everything changes. That's what Jesus is referring to. We have now come to a time where everything has changed. The earth has groaning pains. The day has changed. Our days have changed never to be recovered the way they were. It has changed. So we see, and a snippet of maybe, sorry that it's just a small snippet, but I know I've labored many times in this, but just in the snippet of 100 or 150 years. You see, so often we're trying to just tie it down to just today or tomorrow or this month or this year. But this has happened in the space of over maybe about 150, 200 years that this world has suddenly changed. The increase of knowledge, as Daniel says. The industrial revolution that was used supernaturally by God as Britain was elevated up in order that the gospel would be preached across the world. Missionaries, we read of them. We read of them. We know of them. They went out from these countries and these islands and they went out to the four corners of the world one way on a little boat to preach the gospel to every creature of the earth. And with that advancement of it all, We have seen the rise of wickedness and technology has brought us into a realm where we're now going to see the fulfillment of the book of Revelation right before our eyes, not historically, but before us. And because some are trapped in theology and the ideas of men, they'll very easily go along with the systems of this world. One day closer to the coming of Jesus. One less breaking of bread we have just had in remembering the Lord. And perhaps even very soon we'll sit with Him and drink it anew in our Father's kingdom. It is in the context of this as we see the rise of these two political and religious beasts of revelation, not historically, but before us, right before us, friends. A political one and a religious one. Now we're witnessing already, I believe, the falling away, the pangs of this great earth, the groanings. We have seen two great wars. Two great wars. Someone mentioned to me recently about Imagine being born on a day like this. Imagine being born in 1912 and you're 15 years old and you're sent to the trenches. Tens of thousands of young people went over that trench and were slaughtered instantly. Thousands of Ulster men. Imagine being born then. The Second World War. The rise of Nazi Germany. Hitler sweeping across. That man was the devil incarnate. The slaughter of millions of Jews. But yet in all of that, the purposes of God for the first time in 2,000 years that God would bring back a nation called Israel. The historist says, that doesn't matter. It means nothing. And yet we believe in the sovereign power of God, that He's on the throne and in control of all the nations, but it's an accident. One day closer today to the coming of the Lord. One last breaking of bread. Did you thank Him in your heart? 
Paul then puts it straight into the heart of Timothy and he says, and I believe he sent it to the heart of the church. He sent it to us all this morning. This charge I commit to you. That's not the preaching that we really like. It's not the preaching that we're used to. It's not the preaching that we hear and most of what's on YouTube and everywhere else. But Paul, Paul was a sharpshooter. Frank used to call Brent a machine gun preacher. I believe Paul was a machine gun preacher. He's going to say it as it is. I've got a charge in your life. Why can Paul say that to Timothy? Do you want to know why? It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you're saved, make sure you read this. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. This is what the Bible says. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God. And what does it say? Verse 19, And ye are not. What does it say? Ye are not your own. For ye are bought. You're bought this morning. Jesus bought you. Are you glad you're bought? Bought out of sin and shame. Bought out of slavery. Out of the old devil's camp. But I've been bought this morning with the price of his own precious blood. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul says, you're not your own. You're not your own. Can I say it again? You're not your own. There's a, there's a salvation today is that you put your hand up, say yes, and live whatever way you want. It's not salvation. It's a popular salvation, but it's a false salvation. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Jesus said of any man, it is a narrow way. Anyone know it's a narrow way? It's a straight gate. Yes, there's a cost. But you're not your own. I know it doesn't go well in the grace camp, in the new covenant camp, but you're not your own. You've been bought. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. That's why there's a charge in your life. God's charge in the church today is, is as fresh and as real as the day that He said it in the upper room. As he stood amongst those disciples, he commanded them two things. Two commands, and I believe these two commands are as real today as they were then. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could we look at them? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's a mandate. Isn't that a mandate? That's a mandate to the church of Jesus Christ, not to the disciples 2,000 years ago only, but it's a mandate to everyone who has been purchased, washed in the blood. There's a mandate on our lives. Preach the gospel to every creature across this world. Highways and byways, preach the gospel telling them about Jesus. It hasn't lessened. We're still under the command. The second commandment is found in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 46 says these words. <laughs> Luke 24, 46, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Here's the command, but tarry ye. 
in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Two things, two commands. In the tarry in Jerusalem, it was tarrying for the blessed Holy Spirit. There was a tarrying, there was a waiting for the promise of the Father. There was a commission to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to every creature. Wherever we are placed on this planet, that's where we are by the grace of God. But wherever we are, we are to preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus. Second thing he says, you cannot do that by the operation of your own mechanics or flesh or power or, or the ingenuity of men and the methodology of man or religious systems. You can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. He assembled them. Look what he said. Tarry ye. The first instruction that was given to the church of Jesus Christ they were assembled together in an upper room was for the primary function that they would all be filled with the Holy Ghost. Every single one of them. He didn't say just the apostles. He didn't just say those that have been through college and have Greek and Hebrew. He just said to those ignorant and unlearned fishermen and all those precious women that serve the Lord, get all into that upper room and wait on me, but I'm sending you to the Comforter. When He comes, tarry for Him. Here's the first assembly of the church of Jesus Christ in an upper room. They continued on, Acts 2.42. Of course, they were all filled. But in Acts 2.42, they continued on in the assembling of God's people. They met together with the breaking of bread, with the preaching of God's Word, with the fellowship of the saints and in prayer. That was their function. That was the four pillars of the church. That's why they assembled together and they continued on in that. And the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. They were not only filled in Acts chapter 2, but they were continually filled. Read the book. And so none of this has changed. But somewhere, somehow, the Word of the Lord has been wrapped up like a last sword. And this morning we need to unwrap it because there's souls in danger. There's a desperate apathy. There's a disinterest in the things of God. Even, could I say it, amongst God's people. People don't get excited about God anymore. They don't get excited about the things. Anyone get excited about the things of God? It seems like a chore. It seems like an obligation. It seems like we're going through the motions. What we need to do is unwrap that sword this morning and get a fresh vision of Calvary. We're not our own. That we've been bought. Anything that hinders, I want you to hear me this morning. This is important because I believe this is important as we go forward. I know it's, I know it's the restrictions are reason. Everybody can be at ease and everything is going to be wonderful. Don't believe the lie for one minute. But the morning's coming. The morning's coming. We're going to lighten the load on everyone. They're going to be so good to us. They're going to let you go out. They're going to let you hug your granny. Aren't they really nice to us? You can have more than three people in your garden. I didn't know that. Or three people in your house. I didn't know that either. Maybe you didn't know it either. Praise the Lord. Anything that's going to hinder the preaching of the gospel or the assembling of the people of God together, we have now learnt, certainly I have, anything, anything, Listen, brothers and sisters, anything, anything that would hinder the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the assembling of God's people together is, listen to me, anti-Christ. An awful lot of people are going to struggle with that. But we're doing this for our neighbor because if they see us doing all of this, 
not meeting, not preaching, not sharing. So many might be one, could I tell you, not one of them have been one. Not one of them. If you think they're interested in the church, that their concern is the church of Jesus Christ, you've swallowed the deception. You see, the head of the church of Jesus Christ is not a committee in some denomination. It's not a pastor or a minister. The head over all things to the church of Jesus Christ is the Jesus Christ himself. He gave him to be head, Jesus. Would you say his name? Jesus. Who's the head of this church? Jesus. He gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, 17 and 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. When faith forums, faith committees, interfaith meetings that sit down, and many of the main denominations and Pentecostal, evangelical churches, all sat together with the humanists and the Muslims and everybody else, and told Michelle O'Neill and Arlene Foster, we'll not meet. They agreed to the Antichrist system. And then when they have the 100 years down in Armagh to celebrate the birth of this wonderful wee country, they start protesting against the ecumenical movement. God, help us! He is the living head of the church. He is the one that is up in the glory. And from that head, this body is sustained. Jesus Christ. Can I say it? Not the Stormont executive, not the public health body. And I'm going to show you something in a minute to watch. Not the health, listen to this one, the health security agency. That's important, isn't it? They changed the name. Hey, Tim, they're lifting the restrictions. Chill out. Let me tell you, friends, what's coming down the line. And remember this. Anything, anything, anything that tries to dictate the preaching of the gospel or hinder it, or the gathering of the saints of God together, it is Antichrist. You remember this because it's going to come and we're going to be tested. What is coming onto the public health banner? Because it's so subtle, isn't it? This is for your health. Whew. We were all caught to a certain degree, but it was for your health. And as all the lies start being manifested, and all the radio presenters start quaking, and they should be. This truth is beginning to expose so much of went on. But in the name of health, recently, just in a matter of weeks ago, you might think where we're going, but I'll, I'll tell you where we're going. Recently in Canada, Western nation, there's a bill called the C4 bill, very controversial legislation, but didn't have effect on the 8th of January. It's put under the Health Protection Act, protecting your health. What is that? Well, it is simply this. In that law, they describe as a myth the belief that heterosexuality or cisgender, which simply means that if you're born a boy, you're a boy. Just to keep it simple, and if you're born a wee girl, guess what you are? You're a wee girl. But that's a myth. And listen, if you counsel along those lines or preach along those lines, which we do, and we will, in Canada, it does not align with the worldview and will carry a potential, listen now, Five-year jail sentence. We're going to find out very soon who's a believer. And you know what it's under? 
public health. Listen, this is coming. It's already here, by the way. They're stewing it up somewhere in some committee somewhere up there. They're already stirring the pot with this. And so the laws are going to come in the name of, see, it's already happened in public health. It's a shame that it has been done in the name of public health when there's so many fine, wonderful people that serve us in the health system. Sadly, the poison's in. And now in the name of public health that they are going to begin to bring in laws for the hindering of the gospel being preached and the assembling of God's people together. It's coming! You might think that's Canada. We're all right here and we bell the hinge. It's coming! The question will be in that day, who's the head of this church? Well, I can tell you for first, it's certainly not Tim McElrath. And it's certainly not the storming committees. And it's certainly not Robin Swan or anyone else. The head of the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ alone. We are witnessing... Could I just finish this this morning? Just a few more minutes. I need to finish this message, but a few minutes if you bear with me. We're witnessing... I believe, and again, this, there's diversity in this, but I have often and always believed that the political system is on the rise. We've seen that. This one world order is very much at the fore, but there's also a political, a religious union that is, that is currently forming together. There's also going to be a religious union. I believe that the head of that, and this is controversial, more and more in the evangelical Pentecostal church, especially amongst the Pentecostals who are being swept away in their droves because of this, I believe that the head of that, the figurehead of that, will be the Pope. That's not popular because everyone, especially in the contemporary Christian music scene, they're all running over to sing for him. Well, sing if you want. He gets his title as the, it's remarkable, but it's sad that people don't see it. He calls himself the supreme pontiff of the universal church. Praise the Lord, not my church, not your church. He picked up his name from the Roman emperors. The first one was just before the birth of Christ. He called himself the Roman pontifus maximus. By the time the fourth century comes, the Pope said, that's a good title for me, I'll take that as well. It's a counterfeit church. But I tell you, friends, it's spreading into the body of Christ rapidly all over the place. You dig below the surface and you'll find many of them have great admiration for the Holy Father. Listen, this is not about the red, white, and blue and the green, white, and gold. This is about the blood that was spilt by the martyrs of the faith whose blood cries out onto the altar. How long? Then we see these people in the church today that are leading so many away. And that's what Paul says, they've made shipwreck. They've made shipwreck. Listen, I've said it before. Get the book, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read it. Get the book and read it. Get your history. Get a wee bit of knowledge about the Counter-Reformation, the Jesuit movement, one of the most wicked movements on this planet. Here we have the advancement of a religious system spreading rapidly. The ecumenical movement is growing, is morphing into many church leaders, many of the main Pentecostal charismatic churches. This is not just about for God and Ulster, friends. You know my heart on all of those things. I've been saved out of it all. This is about the defending of the faith and contending for the faith. We are under one head. That head is Jesus Christ. He is an imposter, no matter how evangelical. He sings our songs. They sing hell songs. They sing the songs that we sing. You can go into a service, true or not, Tracy, and they sound the same. They have all the same setup, and it all looks as though it's all us. But friends, it's a counterfeit. Because there's only one way a man can be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ alone. 
There is no co-redemption. Muriology, confession of sins to priests, calling them Father. I know, friends, it's old preaching and out-of-date preaching and you need to move up into it, friends. I'm moving up into nothing. We have one great shepherd and his name's Jesus and he is a great shepherd. And we are under his command. And because many have moved away from this faith. Do you know what it is, friends? Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Do you know any shipwrecks? Our land is littered with shipwrecks. Shipwrecks. This was the theme. And so Paul says, My, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. These things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, he says, commit them. Listen to what he says. Commit them to faithful men. Faithful men. I'm so thankful that God's not looking how many exams you have. I'm so thankful I heard of a precious saint of God, a precious man who had a heart to go into the ministry and a great heart with people, but because he didn't have his Greek and his Hebrew, he was rejected. My God, deliver us from committees. All a man needs is to be called of God. Committed to faithful men, faithful men, men that are faithful. That is one of the greatest characteristics a person can have is faithfulness. Oh, friends, you may not know all the doctrines inside out. I don't. You may not have all the knowledge that you need for this life. But if you're a faithful man, you're found faithful. Faithful in your life. Faithful in your work. Faithful in your marriage. Faithful as a, as a father. Faithful in the house of God. I perceive these men to be pillars in the house of God. Dependable men. May not be flamboyant. They may not have all the things together, but they're faithful men. That's what churches are built upon. Faithful men. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness. Could I tell you, friends, there's some hard things coming down the path. As a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He doesn't get involved. That's not my fight. Friends, there's a subtlety in all of this. We see, we see the confusion. We see the lies. It pains us. We see all the mucking about that goes on and the deception. But I want to tell you, friends, don't get too entangled in the affairs of this life. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bring men to Jesus. That's what sets men free. Not an argument or a debate, but Jesus sets the prisoners free. He's looking for men that may please him who has chosen you to be a soldier. You want to be a soldier? Do you want to be a soldier in the army of the Lord? A soldier. Proverbs says, confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble. Anyone ever had a broken tooth? Oh, Cliff, you show me on Friday. <laughs> Anyone ever had a foot out of joint, Stephen? It's, it's horrible. That's what an unfaithful man's like. So he says, I charge you, I commit to you that you might war a good warfare. I believe if the Lord appeared like he did in Mark chapter 16. He would appear today, he would find so many of the saints of God living in fear, and he would upbraid them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they believed not him which had seen him after he was risen. He would upbraid them because they're living as though Jesus isn't alive. Could I tell you? Jesus says, I am he that liveth. I was dead. I praise the Lord. I'm alive forevermore. He's alive. A few weeks ago, I preached and sounded the alarm. There was one trumpet I didn't mention, but I'll mention it to close. The trumpet given on certain sound. Who shall prepare himself for the battle? How can you fight? The uncertain sound across so many pulpits today tragically have left people in confusion. 
and God's people even living in fear. You imagine this, the saints of God living in fear? This society is going to take years to recover so many out of a spirit of fear. What the media have done, what the media have done to the nation and to so many older people that live petrified every day, still afraid to come out. It will take years to unravel all of that. Maybe never for some. That's a tragedy. But there has to be a trumpet sound. There's one other trumpet that I'll close this series out with. You don't need to turn there, but I'll just point it out quickly. It's the trumpet that's found in Leviticus chapter 25. It says, Thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his possession and ye shall return every man to his family. The jubilee for us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It sets prisoners free. It looses the chains. Men are restored. People are set free. There's the gospel sound of that trumpet. This is the jubilee year. And we have only a short time. But how we must blow that trumpet. How we must blow that trumpet. Brothers and sisters, this morning, there's callings that have been wrapped up like Goliath's sword. There's prophecies that have been put on your life. There's some people here, listen, I know this this morning. I know this in my heart and in my spirit. There's actually people in this room that aren't even walking with the Lord. And God has a word for your life to bring you into the fullness to walk with Him and to serve Jesus. And when that's going to be, I pray it's this morning. But we must live for Christ. No matter what man will do or say, we must live for Him. Because He's coming, and He's coming soon. We want to be those good soldiers of the Lord. There's a charge on every life in this room to live for God. By God's grace and by the power of the Spirit of God, would you say amen if that's the way you want to live? Whatever days He gives us left, I don't know how long we have. We could drop in the morning and we're gone. But whatever He gives us, we want to say with Paul, hey, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished this course. Finish your course, but finish well. Let's stand together this morning. Thank you for being patient. I know I was long. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.